You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. On another exciting entry of Animation Deliberation, we are back to our bread and butter. That's right, we are back for Young Justice Season 4, Part 2, covering the first three episodes, episodes 14 through 16. We're going to get right into that after some ads we have no say over whatsoever. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Sing along if you know the words. A one, two, three, it's time for animation, deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. Yeah. All right, folks, welcome back to Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. I am your host, Jay Scotty St. Clair, and it's a little disappointing not to have Zoo Hare here today as he was the one that introduced me to the show. And Young Justice is kind of the show that made this podcast all possible. But I am very happy to have with me Mr. Andrew Rogers, who, after a brief hiatus, has returned triumphantly. And it's it's great to be able to have him back back to back here lately. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. You say triumphantly, and I just feel like posing like Superman the minute you say that. You know, <laughs> I'm back here. I'm ready to save the day. And, you know, I, I have the same feelings for Young Justice because as much as it's the show that started this podcast, it's the show that caught my eye to listen mm. to you guys in the first place. So it's a, it's a good time for sure. Awesome. Awesome. And we're going to be, um, unfortunately, a little brief today. We have, you know, um, some conflicting schedules and whatnot. So as much as I would love to give each and every one of these episodes, their due diligence. We will be uh, pretty quickly moving here. But it is worth mentioning that this is the first episode we are recording post the one-year anniversary of Animation Deliberation. So it is an excellent time to be a fan of animation as well as a part of the Animation Deliberation team, and hopefully for you as the listener to be a part of our show because Young Justice is back this is going to be our 71st episode, and it's been a full year of animation deliberation, and the content just keeps coming. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you guys all so much for uh, welcoming me in as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, so as stated at the top of the episode, we're going to be covering, uh, you know, HBO Max kind of uh, threw us for a loop here. Not only did they wait till the last minute to let us know when the show was coming back, they also kept it pretty close to the vest that there were going to be three episodes. I was expecting to see one episode um, when I logged into the HBO Max this morning, and I accidentally started with the third episode, but uh, only a few seconds in, I realized something was wrong. So then I looked back and I was like, okay, there were actually three episodes that dropped. So those episodes are episode 14, Nautical Twilight, episode 15, Ebb Tide, and episode 16, Emergency Dive. And 
uh, if you couldn't tell, all of those titles are very aqua related, which is fitting because this is a very Atlantis, Poseidonus, and Aquaman focused story arc so far. So uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, I will bring back this segment uh, that I'm a big fan of. Hopefully everyone else is. But Andrew, on a scale of yeah to yeah, where do you land on this week's ep- or these three episodes that uh, kick off the back half of season four? Um, I would say the three as a whole, it's definitely a, a yeah. You know, I'm, okay. I'm pretty high up on it for sure. Uh, put them together. They were really solid units and mm. they left a lot of questions that I, I didn't feel like I was clawing for more answers because we got so much as it was, but it still left me wanting more. So I feel like it was this perfect setup for the arc that I guess is probably going to end in like one episode. But mm. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was a really good uh, rendition of... Uh, episodes together as for the arc structure i think it's possibly the strongest start we've seen uh what do you think Mm. on that little scale there yeah i would agree with you i I think had you know we only gotten that first episode i might have been a little more tempered in my reaction but getting all three episodes uh, together and really getting those answers i think really served the story well and and as you mentioned it might be one of the strongest story arcs so far so yeah With that in mind, we kind of discussed off air that rather than going episode by episode, it might flow a little better if we just discuss if we just discuss the various uh, plot arcs and plot lines. So, um, for my purposes, I really believe that there were there were kind of three main plot lines. Well, I guess two really strong plot lines, and then the the other ones were kind of visiting um, some other characters on the periphery. So, obviously, the Atlantis. Ongoings with the the prophecy and the return of Arian was the focal point, and then we also had our our guy Superboy in this. Uh, I think you I think you were right on the money when the the last time we record when you suspected it might be the Phantom Zone, given this is called Young Justice Phantoms, uh, but Hopefully. that's still not confirmed. Right, right, right. And then um, the other plot lines being in episode fourteen, we spent some time with Violet and her exploring her faith. Um, following up after that, we got to spend some time with Superman and the, I guess they called themselves Legionnaires. So I am thinking it's the Legion of Superheroes, right? Or superheroes? Yeah. I I believe it's the Legion of Superheroes in comics. Okay. Right. And then, uh, in the final episode, it was going back to Beast Boy, Garfield, and, uh, getting the return of McGann and how she was trying to really help him. Uh, get through what he's going through which was tough to watch but we'll we'll get into that so i was gonna say before we totally split it up i did have one just kind of side question for these three episodes did you happen to look at the descriptions for these episodes i did not i just i dove right in so it's not something i usually look at but they caught my eye and it just feels like they're playing with us a little bit for these i'm just gonna read them off quick the first one was calderam chews algae while violet harper cuts vegetables (laughs) <laughs> the second one was Clark Kent gets all the news that's fit to print and Calderam hears old family stories from his parents. Huh. And then it was Calderam, Wind, and Lagan go for a swim while King Orin goes fishing. Wow. They, they just... Yeah, none of those are entirely inaccurate, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's why I felt like they needed some attention brought to them because they're yeah. so true to form. But also, why did they give us these bizarre, like almost riddle haiku feeling uh, 
sentences. I don't know. It seems like they were just having fun with us because if you yeah. gave any description, it would give away something that's going on. Sure, but sure. I, I had to bring them up because they were the first one of just eating algae and cutting vegetables was so funny. Yeah, I, did we actually see Calderon chew algae? Because I know Violet did chop some vegetables when the, she had the bar that they went to the stuff that they were eating to get drunk. Ah, I guess was algae. Okay, okay, <laughs> that's cool. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah, now we can jump in, but before we totally split the episodes, I had to bring that up a little bit. Yeah, no, no. I'm I'm glad you did. It's it's definitely worth mentioning and, and good for a laugh. I have to imagine just in my own head canon, it's been the same description writer for all four seasons, so they just got a little bored and wanted to do something to have some fun with it. Um, oh, for sure. In one of those descriptions, you mentioned King Orin, and that was something that took me a little adjust took a little bit of adjusting for me. So at what point, and if I just missed this in our previous coverage or what, just let me know, but when did Arthur Curry stop going by Arthur Curry and start going by, what did they call him, Onyx Orin? Yeah, I, I believe it was Onyx Orin. I'm not sure when that officially happened. I'm guessing that this is a kind of comic nod for when he steps down from being Aquaman, he mm. goes back to being King and then somewhere along the storyline of figuring out his past, figuring out that he was the son of the King of Atlantis. He mm. realized he probably had a different birth name and that's okay. what he decided to go with. That's just my context to it. I don't have any okay. specifics because, you know, young justice loves to do this off screen and then come back to it. But I believe sure. that's generally what happens is he finds out he had a different Atlantean name starts going by that. And I have to imagine it's around the time that uh, he stepped down from being Aquaman and handed that mantle off to Calder. Okay. Okay. I buy that. That makes sense. So uh, that was one thing that had me scratching my head a little bit. But then the other thing was right out of the gate, we get the return of ocean master and yes, we saw him die in season three. He was beheaded by Lady Shiva. So the entire time I was like fighting the urge to like go to the wiki and like just double check myself was like, did I f miss something somewhere along the line? But thankfully I made it through all three episodes without giving into that uh, temptation. And um, we did find out that he was a clone of the original Orm. Yeah. And I kind of forgot that the league and the team didn't know about that. Mm, so right. in my head, I was like, wait, shouldn't they be thinking this? And then it was like, no, that happened completely away from all of them that L Lady Shiva did that. So I, I didn't know what to think, but this show does everything for a reason. I kind of was figuring we'd get an explanation, but it might have been three seasons from now. So I'm glad we got it sooner rather than later. Right, right. So he's not the only character to return from the the dead. Obviously, we talked a little bit about uh, Superboy there. We, it's still not entirely clear what his, his state of being is, but the other character I'm thinking of is Arian. Uh, I think it was the end of the second episode, um, episode 15, that we actually got confirmation that he was Arian. Before that, he was just kind of a shadowy figure, um, part of this prophecy and whatnot. But are you, are you thinking that because he has the ties to Vandal Savage and uh, Cassandra Savage, that he might be a clone as well? Or are you thinking that he's the actual Aryan and the immortal Aryan? I'm thinking that he may be the real Aryan. Mm -hmm. In my head, the bigger question was just where his, um, where, he, where he lies in terms of what his allies are going to be, I suppose is the way that I'll phrase that. Is sure. Vandal Savage the one that sent him and said, okay, we need the light to do something in Atlantis. 
I need you to go down and do it? Or was Mm. he actually just drifting about in shame like he said that he was? Yeah, that's a good question. As because as I recall, the the last time we know that he saw his father before the fall of Atlantis, they were not on not on the same side, not on fighting the same fight. Like Vandal Savage basically sacrificed Atlantis to Clarion when they were, you know, their partnership was really budding. So Yeah, I mean twelve thousand years or whatever it is is also still a long time for people to be around so they they very well could have patched it up in that time but that's true i think it would be difficult to clone a magic user i feel like that's part of the question of why i might think that he's not necessarily a clone because i don't think uh ocean master really used magic he just had the trident oh right okay that's a fair point yeah so that could very well also just be me reading into things. Cloning isn't real. Magic isn't real. How do we know how they actually interact? Yeah, and I was uh, impressed by the fact that you pulled that 12,000 number um, right up. Was that in context to the prophecy? or? I think he mentioned something. I, I could very well okay. be misremembering, but I feel like in the episodes, because I literally just watched them for all of the listeners out there, I got sure. off and immediately said we were doing this. I think he right. said his father betrayed him or Atlantis fell. It was either 1200 or 12. No, had to be 12,000 years ago because it wasn't 1200. Right. So it was definitely that long that, that he has been in some sort of disgrace. But I think without sure. the magic helm that the Lords of Order gave him, there's also the question of what his powers are you know, anymore because he probably mm-hmm. can't bestow power to people now that he doesn't have that crown. And that's kind of the big question mark that we leave this arc on is them trying to find this crown to see, you know, what powers it has and whether or not he's actually the king. Right. Yeah. Cause someone just kind of mentions offhandedly, maybe if they found his crown, they could find strands of his, his hair and his original DNA and have confirmation that way. Yeah. That was one of my favorite characters, actually. It was Blubber, the, the Blubber. big male. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was great. And uh, it was funny because the first time we hear his name, I believe it was uh, Lagoon Boy who mentions he was his best friend, Lagan. Yes. And when he said Blubber, at first I thought it was like an exclamation. Like, you know how he always says like Neptune's beard and stuff like that. I thought he was just like <laughs> Blubber, like some kind of Atlantean oh, profanity or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, bringing up Blubber also just makes me think like, we really did get to see more of Atlantis and the inhabitants and even uh, Nanue, kill King Shark. It, yes. We've seen him in so many different properties properties here lately. It was great to see him as just kind of like this vicious, but almost with a righteous fury um, Atlantean who has history with Aquaman, our formerly Aqualad, as well as, you know, the usual faces that we've, we've grown used to seeing around Atlantis, like Wind, Garth, um, I can't remember the other ones. <laughs> yeah, there was also um, Delphis or Delphis. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Whom it took me, I think it was like the third episode, I actually realized that was the metahuman from last mm. season. Correct. I completely missed that that's who she was, that, you know, they brought her down to Atlantis to train. And that explains why she's so, you know, friendly with Aquaman or Calder Aquaman, rather. Is sure. He's probably been the one training her and bringing her, you know, all of the Atlantean culture. So she's super excited about that. And I think it's just the awesome through lines that the show continues to do that you almost need a wiki to remember these characters at times because they just sure. bring them back out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, and she, she was definitely a highlight for me. I really enjoyed uh, the trajectory of her character coming away as this kind of. Um, the last time we saw her, she was really kind of like shell shocked and 
found her home in Atlantis, but now to really see her coming into her own. And I noticed like both times she was kind of given orders to stay behind. She rejects those and, you know, is able to come to the rescue in some regard. And um, I may be off base here, but I kind of wondered if there was maybe a budding romance between her and Kaldor, because as much as Kaldor has his relationship with wind, um, it really seems like they've kind of opened the door in terms of like Atlantis and Atlanteans kind of be being open to this like open love because with Lagoon Boy, he had that relationship with, uh, I can't remember the the woman character's name, but uh, as well as, as the other guy and they're expecting a child all three together that kind of like took me by surprise a little bit, but it's, it's great to see the show tackle just the, the different, you know, sexualities and, and different forms of love that are out there and, and present that to um, an audience like us, as well as a, a younger audience, I, I have to imagine that really resonates with people, especially on a day like today. I believe it is a tr- trans visibility day, if I'm not mistaken, the day of this recording. Oh, I'm actually not aware of that. Uh, if it is, yeah. that's fantastic and awesome. I know it's the last day of uh, Women Appreciation Month as well, so I, I've seen right. that everywhere. And honestly, this show is a great time to talk about it. Has done a phenomenal job with representation that Mm. never feels forced you know when they first Mm. had that reveal of calder being bisexual it was just he broke up with his girlfriend and now had a new relationship and you didn't question it and the same way they didn't feel like they had to explain that lagoon boy was with them both he just said wait where's my husband and then the next minute wait where's my wife and then all three of them were coming together like okay we're safe from the disaster And it was just such a nice way to bring these things about with, again, it's just representing people as they are. You don't have to do anything over the top. And it really resonated with me to be able to see these different characters. And this episode did a good job as a whole, because I know we're talking mostly about the Atlantis part. But when we get Hmm. to um, Halo's portion of it, there was even more conversation about representation with non-binary characters and pronouns and Mm -hmm. uh, we have to talk about all three of the post-credit, mid-credit scenes, however you want to refer to them, because they were right. all phenomenal. But hers was like actually put tears in my eyes a little bit there. At the oh, end wow. Yeah. That, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it was a, a really, really great moment. And and like you said, it's, it's not forced at all. It just all happens naturally. So that's something I really appreciate about it. Um, but I will say uh, before we get super into Halo Violet's oh, yeah. story, I just say I, I, I do feel a little bad. It, it kind of sucks even more that we don't have Zuhair here, given just the focus on Islam with that, that particular story arc. But he couldn't be here this time. So we'll definitely have him uh, give us his thoughts when he can get back uh, to recording with us. Yeah, that was one I actually texted him as soon as I finished this first episode and said, you know, we're really going to miss you this week because you right. would have had some fantastic insights. And I'm not going to pretend to go into them and we're going to leave that to Zuhair. But the one thing yeah. that I wanted to say on that matter was it was beautifully educational mm. because there were so many things myself not actually having that much experience with Islam as a religion and a culture, I didn't know some of the things that they were talking about with why, you know, women wear the hijab and the way that people actually kind of think about it all differently. It's really kind of dependent person to person. That was very eye opening. And I loved being able to learn about it in a conversation where also Halo was learning about it and developing Mm. these thoughts and feelings and asking some of the questions that even I myself may have had. I don't know how they did such flawless writing in this first episode, but they really (laughs) just drove all of these points home. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think I can say it any better than that. And like you said, we will, 
leave the expertise expertise to Zuhair, but I agree. I found it very educational, uh, especially the the portions about the hijab and and what purpose it actually serves and how it's it's unique to every individual. Yeah, very very enlightening. Um, but let's uh, circle back to the Atlantis yeah. portion a little bit while we're talking about individual characters outside of the the happenings with um, you know Ocean Master and Arian and this prophecy. I think one of my biggest takeaways was just the focus on Calderam and where he is emotionally and mentally. Um, the episode kind of opened with he and Nightwing observing the holographic statues, like the memorials that they have for their fallen comrades. So you saw Tula there and you see Connor and Nightwing tells him, you know, when Wally died, I was selfish and just like thrust the the team upon you. And you never really had a chance to grieve for Tula. So it's like, it's, it's okay. If you need to take a break, you need to take a break before this breaks you. And he's, he's not the only one that mentions that to uh, Calder, his adoptive parents who we actually get to know and spend a little bit of time with, mentions the same thing. Like he's always been the adult in the room and he always shoulders this burden and he does it with such poise and grace. He's always so dependable and there for everyone else. It just, I, I kind of hate to say it, but it, I'm, I'm kind of fearful that he's going to get to that place. Like everyone's kind of mentioning that eventually he will break because every time he's just very dogged and determined, he says, no, I'm not going to take a break. I'm going to do what needs to be done. Uh, so I'd, I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are regarding that particular storyline. Yeah, I completely agree that it's it's scary what is possibly to come, but I hope that it's a growing moment if it does mm. that, you know, he has that break, but he has these people around him who will care for him, his version of the team that he's created kind of in Atlantis to be able to support him and help him through it. But you talk about how he's always shouldered the burden, been the adult in the room, you know that's kind of just a metaphor for this whole season almost or not season mm-hmm. series mm-hmm. rather. He's sure. always been the oldest. He's always been the leader of the team. He's always been the one that is making decisions and figuring it all out. And we've always seen him be stoic in charge and show very little. I don't want to say emotion because he very much mm-hmm. cares for the team, but sure. he's always having that composure. And right. I'm curious to see if this is finally the point where we see a little bit of it breakthrough. And we did see it the couple times when we got those solo episodes where he would go home to Atlantis. Mm. Always felt like that was a little bit more of his emotional time. I'm hoping this season kind of gives us that as well and yeah. gives him the relief that he needs as well as lets us grieve as much as it seems like we may get Connor back. I think mm. <laughs> this season really hasn't done much for the audience to help us handle the emotion of that <laughs> Superboy death. So hopefully it helps us out a little bit there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, the other thing that just kind of came to mind, you you mentioned the series as a whole, as well as kind of season four as a whole. And I, I'm just interested to see how everything ties together because, you know, we did have those little flashes to Vandal Savage and what he had going on. But the other thing that really stuck out to me is right before we had the emergence of, I guess, what they called the Red Death, the Red Water that was taking everything out, uh, Dr. Fate was there. And I'm not sure which avatar for Dr. Fate we had because we have the the rotating panel coming off of... Oh, did, did you notice? Well, so this was before they all took over the helmet. 
Oh, it's taking place before that. Okay, I didn't so catch on to that. So if you remember in the final episodes of the Zatanna arc, they had those pillars that were popping up all over Earth as child th- went on a destructive spree. I that was one that of the pillars. Be- okay, I thought that might be what was happening, but I did not directly make the connection. Okay, great, great. I'm glad yes. you were able to fill in the gaps there. Very good. Okay, cool. Okay. That answers yes. that question. So so they had a little bit of timelines kind of going on all at the same point. They did a little actual, I want to call it an Easter egg, just kind of a point us in, hey, here's where we are in the timeline direction with uh, Superman sitting in the cafe. Oh, right. The newspaper he had was Disaster at Roanoke last night. The Disaster oh, okay. at Roanoke was the first episode of the Zatanna arc where they fought child the first time and she completely blew up the earth and then they had to go and reconvene as a team after that so it was kind of to say this is somewhere in the middle of that arc going on and then seeing them track down child that's why dr fate appeared and then disappeared because it was them hopping through locations to try and backtrack child okay very good this is why it's great to have you here you have that attention to detail that i'm lacking sometimes (laughs) and i know they always provide the little like date placards when a new scene comes up and whatnot but i i did not have the i could not remember what t- uh months and dates were the previous half of the season was taking place so yeah great to get that context that makes yeah, a lot more sense don't let me pretend that i read those things and actually know what they're doing <laughs> this one was just context clues i promise oh <laughs> uh, yeah okay cool cool um i'm trying to think if i have uh well, did you have more that you wanted to bring up about the Atlantis arc? I mean, it was pretty dense, so I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some things, but please. Yeah, I mean, the one of the big things that I had, and it's it's almost a joke, and part of the joke is that I've been watching the Harley Quinn series, and for any of mm-hmm. you who watch that, you know there's a running gag about Aquaman in that first season. Right. Uh, it was a little nice to actually see him get to use his fish powers and put them to use saving the uh, wildlife in the ocean and then bringing all the sharks in to, you know, intimidate the enemy as he was going into that tavern oh, at yeah. the end. Yeah, that was it, was great. Just, it was an awesome scene and kind of reminds you, hey, there's a reason he's on the Justice League. He actually has powers that are awesome as long as he's fighting underwater, like there's not quite mm-hmm. as much usage on land, but you put sure. him in the water and he's just a really relevant character. And we don't often get to see the cool side of Aquaman using those fish powers. So that was one thing I definitely wanted to mention. Like, this is really, really cool. And mm-hmm. this is why he was king beforehand. And as we talk about powers also, just feels like it's been a while since we've seen Calder use his uh, water whips for the different things. Sure. sure. So getting yeah. to see that again, just kind of reminds at least me, of how adept he was in those first seasons, being stealthy and powerful, breaking out different weapons or putting them in that ball that he did uh, while they were fighting off the Red Ocean. It's Mm. just awesome to see this power set come back. And it's amazing that they were able to adapt something out of a comic book into such a fluid power that you never get to see it move in a comic book, but they figured out how to perfectly do it on screen. It's a testament to the animators. And... Um, I don't have many names looked up, but the one person that needs a shout out every single time is Carrie Payton brings life to Aqualad or Calder Aquaman in a way that I don't think anyone else could. And I question if we had a different voice actor, would he be the powerhouse that he is? Yeah. And uh, I, I feel bad for correcting because I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure on it, but I think it might be Kari Payton. Oh, please. He, He deserves the credit where it is due. 
Right, right, right. Yeah, no, he does a, a phenomenal job, and uh, he's actually doing double duty. We didn't have Black Lightning appear in this particular set of episodes, but he does the voice of Kaldor, Black Manta, and uh, Black Lightning. But he's not the only one that's that's doing double duty. A lot of the the voice actors do. And I, uh, while we're kind of talking about voice actors, I just what what do you got? What do you got? There is actually a fun note that he also was the voice of Robot Man. Uh, was when he? Robot Man made his appearance. Oh, yes. that's that's great. He did an excellent job with that one too. Yeah, he really delivered the emotion from Robot Man. Yeah, that's great. There, there are some big, big shoes to fill for Robot Man in uh, Brandon Fraser. So to be able to walk in and have me not be totally disappointed sure. is a pretty high bar because Brandon yeah. Fraser's just a, a legend when it comes to everything that he's brought to that character. Yeah, I, I haven't seen both seasons of Doom Patrol, but I have seen the first season. And yeah, Brendan Fraser absolutely kills it as, as Robot Man. And yeah, Kari Payton, you're right. He had big shoes to step into, but I never fa- once found myself wanting. I was very sold on that delivery. Um, but I also wanted, while we're talking about voice actors, I wanted to call out Nolan North, who does the voice of Superboy as well as Superman. I noticed with Superman, he really brought something a little different this season. I, I could tell a clear distinction um, between Superboy and and Superman that I don't think was as notice noticeable as as before. Yeah, I actually had to look it up and make sure that it was the same voice actor because it mm-hmm. felt like he was bringing this like stoic bravado to it to try and yeah, do it yeah. over the top. And I I questioned at first if he was only doing that to differentiate himself from Clark around the Legionnaires. Right, right. But then right. when he still did it in the Phantom Zone flashbacks, I was like, oh, okay, so this is just his Superman voice that we don't get as much of because we've seen a lot of Clark Kent. We've seen very little of right. Superman in this yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually did the same thing. I was wondering. I was like, did they replace Nolan North? But no, no. Nolan North's just uh, doing it up. So good for him. And then uh, the other call out that I wanted to provide was for um, I know she voiced Queen Mara, but I think she also voiced the purple-haired mermaid that was kind of the most cantankerous with uh, Nanue, as well as it just sounded like she voiced a couple of the background Atlanteans. But her name is uh, Kath, and I'm not sure if I'm getting her last name right, but it's I think it's Sushi or Soshi or something like that. Um, but I instantly recognized her voice from Rugrats. She did the voice of phil lil and uh their mother and just somewhere in that delivery i could just catch that little bit of that and it was great so i actually had her written down as well for none of those characters okay for the voice she gave arthur she did arthur as well wow okay cool i recognized the childlike (laughs) voice and i was like i know that from somewhere and then i dug in and it's like oh she did the rugrats she did lil phil and then she also was um Oh gosh, I can't remember the character's name. The clone child of the professor in Futurama, a uh, Cubert. That was his name. Oh yes, yes, great so call. Now, she great has that call. childlike voice, <laughs> and I'm like, that's where it comes back to is Futurama, as always. That's great. That's <laughs> there's great. so yeah. many good voice actors. As I'm looking at this list, that like uh-huh. we could go on and on. This cast totally. just does an amazing job, and mm-hmm. very few of them only voice one character. So it's right, right. They they just do a really good job of differentiating, but bringing an amazing performance every single time. Yeah. While while we're on this little tangent, the only one off the top of my head that I can say definitively only voices one character, uh, maybe McGann, maybe her voice actress, but uh, Lagan is is voiced by a pretty reputable voice actor named Yuri Lowenthal, 
who actually did the voice and motion capture for that uh, first Spider-Man game for the PS4 and, and PS5 that they did the Miles Morales spinoff for as well. So he actually also voices Garth, oh. Oh, okay. the other <laughs> uh, Atlantean friend of his. Okay, okay. My vote for who I think is the person who only does one might be Jesse McCartney with Dick Grayson. Oh, right, yeah. I, forgot I don't know him. if he does anyone else, but they have them do so many side characters. I would not be surprised if they're doing someone else, you know? Sure, sure, totally, yeah. Either way, they, they all do great jobs. Yeah, yeah, they do phenomenal jobs, which is kept us coming back for as many seasons as we have and hopefully we will get that season five that we've been campaigning for but um anyway did you have more to bring up about this um atlantean arc um i'm sure i'm gonna remember something after we go off air but right now i think that's really all that i had to say besides this seems like it's going to be a really interesting climax because we have so many things that just have question marks surrounding them as opposed Mm -hmm. to getting things answered uh, throughout. So I I think it's going to be a really interesting time. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I'm sure we're overlooking something. It was like I said, it was a very dense story arc. Um, I guess just off the top of my head, we talked about Nanaway and seeing some of the different Atlanteans. Um, I'm of two minds when it came, when it comes to the octopus representative, because it sounded (laughs) like he was like sucking, sucking his lips every time before he spoke, which I loved and also found a little disgusting, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just great to see that diversity. And the octopus character, I don't have the voice actor's name in front of me, mm. but I think they're a like notable voice actor because I recognized it almost immediately, but I can't mm. place it. And yeah, mm. it was this perfect, like the nerdy guy in the corner that you don't sure. really want to listen to, but they kind of have a point. Like right. that was the perfect rendition of what was going on there. And I, I yeah. loved it and hated it. Just like you said, <laughs> while we're here, I'm going to ask the question, uh, which is your favorite rendition of King shark as we currently have it? I think there's four in recent memory. Uh, I mean the suicide, the suicide squad version by Sylvester Stallone was excellent, but I'd, I'd have to go with the Harley Quinn version. He's just hysterical. And I, I believe that's a, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the the comedian's name. Uh, Ron Funches. R- Ron Funches. Okay, thank you, thank you, sir. Yeah, it's what I'm here for. I just try not try not to type too loudly whenever we have to do things like that. Uh, it's it's all good. I can always edit it out. No problem. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I would say, yeah. Ron Funches version from the Harley Quinn animated series is probably my favorite overall. But it is it is a tough competition because I do love that. Sylvester Stallone version. I like this version quite well as well. Yeah, it's very articulate. I might have to edge out the Sylvester Stallone version a little bit. I don't mm. know what it was. I'm not usually a fan of those don't talk well characters in movies, but he just yeah. brought some energy to it that I absolutely adore. Yeah, yeah. He was great. I love just thinking about it, I loved when he was pretending to read and he had the book upside, upside down. down. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great. Um, have you seen Peacemaker? I know Zuhara has not seen Peacemaker. Have you? I have seen Peacemaker. I oh, thought okay. it was fantastic. So okay, yeah, we'll definitely we, have we, to have some chats about that one at some point. Yeah, but it, yeah, exactly. And just how that's connected to Suicide Squad. It's interesting that you bring up how Harley Quinn had the running gag about Aquaman. That one definitely had a running <laughs> ga- gag about Aquaman as well. <laughs> and it was the same gag. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, we'll synergy. talk about Harley Quinn at some point, I think, because oh. we have season three coming, don't we? Yeah, it's definitely oh. on the docket. It's it's coming out, and I love those first two seasons so much, so we will definitely uh, be covering it in some fashion. Awesome. Okay. Which side story do you want to tackle first? I, I think we should go for the meteor one, not to oh too right <laughs> weird with that because just talking about meteor makes me think of when connor had that meaty chunk of flesh taken out of his back and chest when he was in you know i'm gonna call it the phantom zone because i don't know what else to call it at this point this ethereal yeah, realm. purgatory afterlife yeah. whatever i think kid flash at one point refers to it as purgatory yes he does yeah 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 so in terms of what happened yeah he just kind of comes to next to the character who I believe is Phantom Girl, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Okay, I believe so that's that kinda... is also Phantom Girl. Right, right. And she has not been conscious this in, this entire time, but hopefully with the next episode, he'll, they'll start to have some dialogue and she can maybe fill him in on, on what's happening. I wonder if, given her power set, that maybe her attempt to save him, maybe p- put them both in this this realm. Ooh, that is an interesting because was she the one who could phase? Correct. Ooh, that's yeah. I had my own theory kind of coming into this episode a little bit, and I well, might like yours better. Well, let's hear your theory. What you got? So the minute that I saw this monstrous thing that was attacking uh, Connor, I immediately thought it looked very Genomorph-esque. Agreed. Agreed. So I was wondering, is this something to do with his lab creation that he's mm. in some realm where they keep the minds before they then put them in the genomorph bodies or perhaps mm. the genomorph scientist was like using his telepathy powers to hang on to his soul. I don't know. Mm. It was some grasping at straws and I probably wouldn't have thought of this unless I immediately saw that character or the monster rather that looked like a genomorph. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with the Leviathan-like creature definitely looking like a, a genomorph. But, and I, I do agree that Connor's kind of reduced form with just, you know, kind of the boxer briefs there. He does very much kind of have some genomorph qualities and whatnot, just in terms of like the different coloration on his on his skin and some of like the patchwork nature of, of his skin pattern, it, it appears. But uh, yeah, I... I I wouldn't be surprised if it was maybe a combination of our two theories. Yeah. And there is a little thing because there was there was an alarm bell going off in my head of, well, how does Phantom Girl also end up there? Like she's not a genomorph. I don't know if we said it specifically, but I'm thinking that the three Legionnaires are his kids somehow is my. Oh, wow. Okay, interesting. Or. Because uh, they each have a power of McGann, if you notice. One can phase shift, yeah. one can transform, and one can read minds. That feels very comic booky. I have kids, and each one gets a power. So my my running thoughts are that's the kids trying to save Dad from some event that happens. So that's how she ends up in the Phantom Zone with him. Mm. It's a stretch, but I'm putting it on the board now. Uh, that's yeah. No, I I think you might be right on the money, and that hadn't even occurred to me at all. But uh, yeah, that's that's a great call out with the power sets there. Um, and while I did call this portion meteor, um, in retrospect, not all that much actually happened there. I mean, <laughs> you, you see some of those frustrations with Connor himself, so we can kind of tie in. I think the Legionnaires and their inter- interactions with Superman, um, with this this portion, um, 
So when they approach Superman, Clark Kent, in that, you know, he tries to keep his cover pretty half-heartedly, I guess. It's not a very good attempt. <laughs> My friend Clark sent me to talk to you. <laughs> They're like, yeah, okay. Who's Clark? <laughs> right, right. Um, they inform him that there's an event coming in 10, 10 years, right? 10 years at Happy Harbor, Rhode Island, and he needs to be there at noon. And that Connor always asked himself, what would Superman do? So when this time comes, Superman needs to ask himself, what would Superboy do? And immediately after telling him that, Chameleon Boy kind of has the, the thought that, okay, it didn't work. He failed or didn't make it there because otherwise we would have just been reset and our timeline would be normal. And then uh, what was the, what was his compatriots name again? I believe that's uh, if it's phantom girl in the phantom zone, then mm -hmm. Saturn girl is the third one. Right. Saturn girl. That makes sense. Given the emblem on her, on her uh, outfit there. Um, she mentions that, you know, just due to the amount of, um, I can't remember the exact term, but basically like the chrono radiation they've yeah. endured and their time travels have made, may have separated them from their own timeline just so, so far that they can never really bounce back to that. But yeah. It's, that's one of the areas that we really got the, the fewest number of answers. Yeah. And I will say though, this is another, you know, Andrew's pulling out fan theories all episode right now. <laughs> um, them pulling out Bioship. Who else would Bioship listen to but some, uh, you know, offspring of Magan, because how else would they have bonded with Bioship? So that's just another that's one of those that that's why they had Bioship. But I loved that moment of Superman just being like, wait, you have Bioship? That was a wonderful character reference. Why, why didn't you pull that out sooner? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Superman yeah. just means so well. And yeah. we've talked about it at length. He's so goofy in this show and one of the best renditions that I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it is definitely one of my favorite iterations of Superman. It's kind of funny because thinking back on season one where they started with that character, just him being so distrusting of Superboy, it felt like such a different take. But now he he really has between like some of the post credit scenes we got last season where he was worried about his child oh, and, and yes. whatnot. Yeah, he's he's really become one of the, the most fun and kind of tongue in cheek versions of Superman. It's, it's great to see. Uh, but that call out about Bioship and the connection to McGann, I think that that you're really on the money and that's really driving home that that theory for me. So great, great call out there yeah I'm, I'm sorry if i ruined it for anyone i know i get a little upset when people fan theory but i promise i have not read a single comic on this so i'm not mm. pulling from background knowledge um before we wrap up on the legionnaires characters sure. here I, I did have one question for you that is something yeah, sure. that i actually didn't look up they mentioned saving superboy previously uh i think they said right. outside the un do you happen to remember where that was uh my mem my memory is a little fuzzier than I would like it to be, but I do have some somewhere in the back of my mind. I have a remembrance of someone phasing through a portal of some kind, and then going out of their way to to hide their hide themselves from from what they did. But I do vaguely remember it. I want to say it was either at the very beginning of season four or part of season three well i i remember a scene in season three where i think it was when they were first announcing the outsiders 
they like yes. saved Lex Luthor from some yes. event, and Lex Luthor, I believe, in this universe is part of the UN. Right. But I don't remember anything bizarre happening that it would have had the Legion need to step in for. So that was the part that I was like, I don't remember anything specific and just wanted to rack your brain. And, you know, if one of our listeners happens to remember, please feel free to write in and let us know. This is not just us begging for feedback. I really don't have any idea <laughs> off the top of my head where this came from. Yeah, we're we're counting on you eagle-eyed viewers and listeners and uh, big fans of Young Justice. Let us know. Um what we're not remembering there because it's, it's, it's there somewhere, but it's just super fuzzy. And I honestly, before we started this coverage, I could probably could have benefited from a whole series rewatch, but you know, we're in a little bit of a content overload stage right now. So I, I didn't really have the means to do that, but I'm that sure it's true. Yeah. I'm sure everything will come for full circle. The show generally does a good job of answering all those questions and kind of, Hey, remember when this happened and, and, and whatnot, but, uh, the school bus might be my favorite example of something. Oh, they've yeah. been like, hey, remember four seasons ago? <laughs> Never. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that school bus was great. Nah, that was that was fun. Uh, okay, um, I know we need to be wrapping up here. So we do have some feedback from TJ Stafford. Before we get to that, it feels like the last real big story we have here. We We made mentions of the journey that Violent went on. But again, we will we will kind of save further thoughts for that when Zuhair can be present and really um, help fill out that that discussion there. Um, but outside of that, yeah, Gar's ver- journey here, we saw in the first half of season four just what a dark time he's having and how reclusive he's being and how he's really suffering. But this last episode here with McGann returning to Earth and Forge, you're kind of telling her, hey, have you have you spoken to Garfield Logan? Have you actually seen him? Have you seen him? That was the moment I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that whole intervention was was really tough to watch because basically one by one, they all pour their hearts out to them. We have Blue Beetle with Static Shock, his members of the Outsiders, kind of telling him, hey, come on, like get better so that we can all inspire people together again. You had this... I kind of liked how they fumbled over like calling it his voice. It was just like, you have a big mouth, but let's call call it your voice. And then wonder girl stepping up to say, Hey, like I only took this leadership role temporarily. Like you're still the leader and you're still my mentor. I still need you in that capacity. And then we, we mentioned robot man, but I thought robot man's for all, for my purposes was really the most well delivered. Just like he kind of had that tough love that I feel Gar needs that kick in the pants really like, Hey, we've all endured trauma and we've all suffered grief and you were there for us when that happened. Let us be there for you. But one by one, he's just so flippant, dismissive. And the way he just says next, like it started to grate on me more and more and more with every attempt, just his dismissive nature. I do have some optimism though. Oh, please. No, I was just going to say it hurt more and more because it felt like each one of those was getting more genuine and Mm -hmm. him just dismissing the next one that was getting worse and worse. And did you actually catch all of Robot Man's like what his reasoning was? Like he helped like Gar basically helped him stop being like this brain in a jar. Well, so I had this thought in the back of my head that the entire uh, Doom Patrol died 
And when I saw Robot Man, I was confused. And it turned out they did all die. And when he said, you helped me stop being a brain in a jar, it was because they were only able to bring Robot Man back because he doesn't have a body. So they just found his brain and put it back. So that survivor's guilt was the moment that I was like, he honestly almost has it worse than Garfield does right this moment because he fully was gone and then came back. I don't know how you could live with yourself knowing you were the only one who could actually come back from that side. That was a, that was a real tough moment to think, okay, you're just being so blind to the help that he's trying to offer to you, Garfield. Yeah, that was, yeah, I'm glad you you bring that perspective to it because yeah, it's not once that he's lost his life, but twice that he's lost his life now and having to lose his entire team. Yeah, I can only imagine the survivor's guilt there. But yeah, it's just it's it's falling on deaf ears. And I I will say that I do have some slight optimism because I feel like McGann's outreach and when she says, like, I need you as a brother, like I I'm dealing with this 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 grief as well and I, I need you to be here for me as much as i i want to be there for you you kind of see a little bit of a crack in the veneer and his eyes actually soften and this is the first time he says sorry and you think he might be open but he says sorry i'm tired of being there for people i i don't i can't be needed right now i have to go it alone but um yeah. Which the the you saying that right there makes me wonder if this is going to parallel Aquaman a little bit mm. of they're both being overly needed by people. Is it sure. finally time for both of them to say together, I need to take a step back. I need to not be the one in a leadership position. I need to not be in charge because um, mm. obviously one is cracked and one hasn't. But I feel right. like they're at least still going through some of the same issues and hopefully that will be a way that we kind of get this in at least a nicer full circle uh solution perhaps they're both talking to black canary together yeah yeah i i my mind kind of went there as you were saying that yeah because the last thing megan kind of mcgann excuse me leaves off on is like you can turn us all down but at the end of the day if you still want to have any hope of being on any of these teams in any capacity you have to do your yearly psych eval so you have to do therapy with Black Canary and it kind of, I suspect that he will give into that. I don't see him leaving giving up. Yeah. I don't see him leaving entirely, at least not at this point. So yeah, I, I think that would be a great way to dovetail the two stories and maybe they do meet up in therapy. I'm trying to think like previously have Aquaman or even when he was Aqualad, excuse me, um, and Beast Boy have, have they had many like direct interactions? I can't really. Well, think of any off the top of my head. I mean, they work together on on missions and whatnot, but I can't think of any like direct. Yeah, I was going to say there was the brief time they were on the team together before Aqua Lad became Aquaman and went up to the team or up mm. to the league rather. Sure. But at that point, if he was still in charge, I have to imagine there was some sort of direct interaction, but I don't think we mm. got to see it really. Okay. It was more off screen. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. Um. But yeah, I I think it would be pretty fitting with the two journeys that they're going on for them to kind of come to a head and maybe experience that healing together. Yeah, hopefully so. And I I hope to see Garfield get some sort of resolution to it all because Mm -hmm. it has been it's been painful as a viewer, not in a bad writing way, but in a 
beautiful writing way and i, mm. I hope we get some brevity at some point yeah it's it's been really frustrating but entirely relatable and yeah just it it feels real it feels like something that somebody that's endured this much would actually go through so that's what i appreciate about it and hopefully we're getting close to coming out on the other side of it and he can experience some healing really like to see that for his character he's one of my favorite characters if not my favorite character um but unless unless you have anything else to say about that side of the story i i do want to tackle those three pro, three post credit scenes that you yes you mentioned please. yeah yeah so take it away um okay so we had that first one that we did kind of touch on which was uh halo you know talking more less about her religion and just more about her gender identity would be the best mm-hmm. way to describe it and just talking Correct. about pronouns in that conversation and especially in this sense, it makes a lot of logical points that she's not really human. She was birthed from a person and a mother box. She isn't sure. fully, you know, feeling like a girl or a woman. So deciding upon those pronouns, it was just really great to be able to hear that on screen. And the point mm. that brought a tear to my eye that I kind of I just had to touch on was watching her legs bounce in this anxious. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how I can talk about this. I'm guessing she was talking to Harper if I had uh, to. I watched with I watched with subtitles and it did credit it as Harper. Yes. Okay, perfect. I, I figured yeah. that was the closest friend that she wanted to talk to. Right. And then the minute that she determined, you know, I think they is what fits, she didn't stop bouncing her leg. It was when, sorry, I'm choking up a little bit. Um <laughs> it was when Harper actually said, They fits you, they sounds good. Her yeah. legs stopped moving and it was the acceptance of not only herself, but having someone in her life to accept her. Mm. That was just mm. so pulling and beautiful to hear and have. And again, there's so many of us that have gone through things, whether it be gender or sexuality, anything like that. We've all had those anxiety inducing moments where the minute you have a friend that is on your side it just pulls you back to earth and calms you down. And it's mm. amazing that we've had this side character in Harper that was a bad influence on her in that season and just yeah. stuck with her that right. now, Hey, she's a part of this squad and Halo is getting more relief in her life. Now that she's figured out everything past Brion, past her powers. Mm. Now that she's back mm. to figuring herself out as a person, it was just well-rounded. I didn't mean to dominate this part of the conversation, but I just, no. I had a lot of thoughts coming out no, of it no, and I figured I, it was, good to talk about them as we kind of went no worries whatsoever i think you did a very poignant and beautiful job speaking speaking on what took place there and the one thing i will say is i'll I'll be curious to see how going forward now that excuse me they have this identity as they and that's one thing i have to say uh forgive us if we refer to her as her or she in place of they because it's going to take us some getting used to just as as much as it will the people around them and uh, i know some days in my life and I always put my best foot forward and I try to make that attempt, but it is something I'm, I'm still learning and still working on. So I, I really appreciate the show for furthering that platform and allowing me to think about it a little bit more and be more cognizant about it. And um, just in terms of if Harper being the one to help her kind of go on that journey, Harper went through a lot of trauma of her own. We, you know, there were uh, uh, allusions to domestic abuse and whatnot. So to see, that character we haven't spent a ton of time with her on screen but just to see how far she's come to where she can be this um bastion of support for for harper a a character that has or not violet excuse me her last name's harper it gets a little confusing sometimes but 
um, this character that has like questioned their identity so much and has had so much taken away from them just to see her or see them accepted. Um, so open art with such open arms, not only with, with Harper, but also with Gabrielle's mother. It was just, yeah, it was really touching stuff. And I'm, I'm really happy for the, the character of Violet in that regard. Yeah. Because we had that little, I think it was the first episode of the season. They had mm-hmm. that under the table conversation, just talking about, I want to explore more of what Violet went through. Mm. And then to see it come full circle, I, I was surprised, but happily so, as you can uh, obviously tell. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. So um, do we want to go to the then, third one next? Because the third yeah. one also involved uh, Halo and Harper. I feel like it's a little bit better to tie into. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, so this was the one where it was all of them at graduation. You could see Halo and Harper sitting there and you heard a very long winded speech with a lot of (laughs) third person talking from forager. And the only question I have for you, Jay Scotty. Yes. Does this mean that forager was the valedictorian of this school? Because usually the person that speaks at graduation is the number one in the class. I believe so. That was my takeaway. Fred (laughs) with two G's, AKA forager was uh, valedictorian. (laughs) How did he pass English? (laughs) <laughs> great question great question uh that that was the one thing i sat there unpacking to myself was he can't be the best how is he the best is he really like he's smart but what do you mean it was just uh, uh I'm, I'm glad uh, to know you were on the same page as i went into this yeah <laughs> yeah um, and you know bless his little heart it, it was a good speech it was a good speech it was lots and lots of third person so i'm wondering maybe if it was those situations where it's not necessarily the person that got the best grades but the person that had come the farthest in terms of like <laughs> most improved yeah yeah there we go because just like the nature of his speech he talked about how he had this identity of fred bug with two g's and uh he had learned to shed that that was basically his larva pupa stage and as he was able to metamorphosize he was able to be the bug that he needed to be and that the that his earth hive needed so i don't know how many g's came up but he said remember you know all all the g's that i've i've laid out here for you and it was yeah it it definitely got a good chuckle out of me how many G's could a Fred bug bug if a Fred bug could bug bugs? <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> no, it was a powerful speech. I just, yeah. it was a better laugh than it was anything else. But Oh, for sure. And um, just while we're talking about Forager briefly, he, outside of that scene, he only really had the one where he got to be introduced to Baby. And he just said, you know, I'm happy to hear while I will miss Bioship very much, I'm happy to know that Bioship is relaxing and, and earning this this stage of rest. But we know as the viewer that that's not the case. Bioship has been contacted by these legionnaires and has come out of her. Or is or is was that taking? Is that again with the timeline? Is that taking place beforehand? Um, it's taking place. Well, no, it's taking place after they come back from Mars. But right, it right, might right, be okay. before that conversation. Um, okay. The interesting note that I had with that though. Forager said something along the lines of, I know this is what she said she wanted. Mm. So it seemed like they had a little, like, I don't want to say breakup conversation because we don't know what the relationship quite was, but it was a little bit of, you know, I guess they had an understanding and mm. he he was like, okay, you're going to leave. That's totally fine with me. And then she went 
and that was that it was it was just interesting that no one else seemed to know besides forager until they got to mars and it was like oh surprise she's gonna leave us and baby's gonna come like yeah you know for all his faults forager is a trusted confidant so he's he's got that going for him he really is (laughs) yeah all right um do we want to tackle this this last one before we hit some feedback real quickly so the only thing I have to say about this last one, and if anyone didn't stick around, it was really just Vandal Savage taking inventory of mm. wherever they stored all of their belongings. I can't remember if he called it the War World or if he... I can't remember where he said it was being sent. I don't think it was War World, but there was some specific mm. name. Um, I just have in my notes, quite literally, Project Threnos comic readers probably just lost their minds i have no idea what it was but it seemed to be a big nod of we need to save all of our resources for project three notes when that happens it's going to be important don't know what that is but it's probably going to be something insane next season of this is vandal savage coming back as a villain with whatever project three notes is okay okay yeah he because he mentioned how child had failed so maybe this is like the fallback plan well, actually, he was he was opposed to what Child was doing at, at that point. So maybe yeah, now that I think the, yeah, maybe now that the Chaos Lords are out of the picture, he's able to um capitalize on some some long term plans he had. That's that's only my real takeaway. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. All, right, All right. So we also have some feedback here. All right, uh, and you've got access to it. So if you'd like to read what I Mr. T.J. Stafford has for do. us. As always, the lovely TJ Stafford says, there's way too much in these first three episodes to unpack in one feedback email, so I'm just going to hit a couple of highlights here. It seems like this half of the season is going to be a little bit more cohesive than the first half. The last arc with Zatanna seems to play directly into this one. In addition, we seem to be getting more subplots, and on top of that, we have the Atlantean arc and Connors, so we get to spend some more time with Violet and the Legion and McGann. I was very confused as to the Ocean Master's presence after we saw Shiva kill him a while back, but a clone does make sense. This combined with the return of Arian, aka Vandal Savage's grandson, cannot mm. be a coincidence. I can't wait to see how this plays out. I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say. I'll be waiting on pins and needles for the episode. Thanks as always, TJ Stafford. And thank you, TJ, because this was a lovely little uh you know, conclusive email that kind of brought up that we didn't really talk about Ocean Master and the grandson showing up at the same time. Oh yeah, that's a good call out. Yeah, they do have that connection to Vandal Savage, so maybe there's some machinations at work. The light has always been very insidious and deceptive in in their inner workings. So yeah, it seems like uh, I think Aquaman or the king that was formerly Aquaman, Orin, is the only one that seems to be like highly suspicious of Arian, like his subjects are willing to go through the motions that he has put in place in terms of confirming his identity. But what do you have to say? Yeah, it's interesting. And as much as I want to be, you know, a skeptic about the ocean master or the clone rather, Mm. he didn't seem very like having a purpose as much as he didn't have his memories. It didn't feel like he was on this war path that the light put him on. It just felt like he was still Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, do things and be himself. So as much as there seems to be a dubious subplot going on, I don't think it's going to be as predictable as I want to say, Oh, he's teamed up with this, uh, Aryan 
clone copy, mm. whatever you want to call him. I think there's something bigger going on that I have no idea what it is, whether the lights even involved or not. I mean, okay. heck, in the first half of the season, we had a apocalyptic person show up to like help. And there was that time traveling bad guy that put the crypt kryptonite in the bomb like that's still okay. going on in the background. I think they have so many plots going on right now yeah. that I don't know how they're going to be interwoven. And I'm excited by that prospect, yeah. but it's making yeah. it hard to actually guess what's going on. No, that's an interesting thought. I, my assumption that the light, the light was evolved, excuse me, that the light was involved was based on the fact that like most of the cloning we've seen so far in terms of like the various iterations of Roy Harper. Um, but that would be very interesting, even if they weren't the ones that cloned him, or if they were the ones that cloned him, that they did not give him a direction at all. They just kind of set him out just to be a distraction and an agent of chaos. That would be kind of uh, unusual for the light's usual modus operandi but um yeah totally could be yeah because i i do agree with you that he doesn't really seem to have a direct purpose other than revenge but yeah, yeah. and it, it could be revenge for the false memories that they put in mm -hmm. him or perhaps yeah. perhaps they made him think his brother killed him and he's out for revenge this clone so there's mm. the options are endless and i always like having questions i can't come up with my you know, weird answers to like I do with the Legion and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, um, I think we're getting close to that time and we, I think we've done a pretty thorough job of covering these three episodes. It's just great to be back in this world and uh, covering, you know, the show that started it all for us again. This is our 71st episode that we were recording here um, just the day after our one year anniversary. So great time to be covering animated content. Yeah, um, um, I do have one thing before we go. Yeah, what you got? It's kind of a little call to feedback action. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, we ended last season talking about the titles of the episodes spell out Invitation to K. Yes. We got the first three. So now we have Invitation to Knee. <laughs> we have K-N-E-E. -E. I have my, th I have my thoughts on what this could be. But okay. there's 13 episodes total in the back half of the season. I'm going to make you all wait until next week to hear my thoughts on this. But in the meantime, write into us with what your thoughts to what this actually could be. If we get enough of them, we'll talk about them. We'll talk about our thoughts and, uh, you know, what else is going to happen once we get another letter reveal and see what we can come up with with interesting thoughts. But I wanted to put it out there before I threw all of mine at you guys and you didn't have time to respond with your creative thoughts. So send them into us uh, either on the Instagram or on the email uh, animation deliberation podcast at gmail.com and mm -hmm. uh, animation deliberation on Instagram or Facebook as well. Yeah. Wonderful call to action. I completely forgotten about that, but I have some ideas about where it's going. So yeah, I'll use sleuthy watchers and comic book readers and enjoyers of the DC universe. Uh, let us know what your thoughts and predictions are there. And I will just say a couple of things uh, coming up on the horizon here. Um, I have mentioned that I've watched uh, at least a little bit of Vox Machina on Amazon Prime. So I'm, I'm definitely interested in covering that. And I also noticed on HBO Max that Blade Runner Lotus has just dropped. So um, I might discuss, we haven't discussed it in any capacity, but I will discuss with Zuhair and uh, Andrew if there's any interest in doing that. I would certainly love to cover that because I'm a big fan of Blade Runner, even more so of Blade Runner 2049. And just based on the few images I've seen, it definitely seems to be inspired by that world. So 
Thank you so much for all the support and the listenership. Thank you for allowing us to get to one year and 71 episodes. I think um, at the time of this recording, we have probably exceeded 29,000 downloads. So that's something to celebrate. Uh, yeah, all I can, you know, is profusely thank everyone for all the support. It's been a blast. Thanks for tuning in. That's T-O-O-N-I-N. Till next time, muscle, muscle. And for Zuhair, stay whelmed. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Strand Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandapanda.com or join the great community that is the Strandapanda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svchat. Tune in next time, and remember, stay whelmed. When it's time to give a truly special gift to that special someone in your life, why not turn to a jeweler you can trust? Solomon Brothers Jewelers is a family-owned business that's earned Atlanta's trust for decades with high quality, low prices, and the largest selection. Solomon Brothers has thousands of wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds in stock. Shop Solomon Brothers online at SolomonBrothers.com, SolomonBrothers.com, or stop by stores with locations in Buckhead or Alpharetta and experience the best. You're invited to explore cypress swamps, and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire, the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, Make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark.